Well, good morning, everyone, again. Oh, sorry, Chris, almost got you with the microphone there. It's good to be together. Uh, in, our, in our joy and in our sorrow, it's good to be together. That's uh, what it means to be a community, just to be together in those things. As Hans Eric mentioned, we're uh, f- actually finishing up our series, our Compass for Community series. Uh, and today's statement from the Compass, the last one, is this. We are committed to being inconvenienced for the gospel. This is my favorite statement from uh, the Compass, and I think one that holds it all together. I'm going to begin by reading our scripture passage uh, for this morning, the sermon text. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You can find that on page 959 if you're following along in the Pew Bible. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're here this morning longing to know your truth. Not just about your truth, but to know it in our bones, to know it in our actions. So we need your help. May we experience your kingdom love and power this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had a convenient Friday ritual my freshman year in college. It was this. Two tacos for 99 cents and a jumbo jack for 99 cents and a soda from Jack in the Box. Every Friday night my freshman year of college. Incredibly convenient. The problem was, every time I would have two tacos, a Jumbo Jack, and a soda, I wouldn't feel good afterwards. (laughs) You are what you eat, yeah. (laughs) But that didn't stop me from going back every Friday for that two tacos, the Jumbo Jack, and the soda. It was just so convenient. When I married Jill, I learned the beauty of inconvenient food. I think of fish tacos, 
fresh fish, this amazing red cabbage sauce, this creamy sauce on top of that, and then fresh cilantro and fresh lime from the corner market, chopped up, mixed together, sprinkled over the taco with a nice warm corn tortilla. A beautiful table set with candles, friends gathered around us. It took a long time to prepare. Incredibly inconvenient, but so worth it. So worth it. The inconvenience was beautiful in itself for the reward of a rich meal with friends. This compass for community is full of what we might consider inconveniences. But they're worth it. The inconvenience is, wor- is, is worth the beautiful feast of the gospel that we can experience together in this sort of gourmet community. I, I have the, a copy of the compass here with me. It's hard to find some of these things uh, in community, right? A commitment to build each other up and not tear down. Uh, a commitment to c- communicate clearly, completely, and directly. A, a commitment to make positive investments in each other's lives. To accept disagreement, conflict, evaluation is normal and natural. Those are inconvenient things. The, these are not the ways of least resistance. But these inconveniences, for the sake of the gospel, testify to Jesus Christ, to the God of Jesus Christ, who's all about inconvenience for the sake of loving us. Think of the love of Jesus, the inconvenient love of Jesus, who puts his own flesh in the game, so to speak, for us, who was born into straw poverty for us, who goes all in, who waded into the messiness of human relationships, who was betrayed, who was denied, who went hungry, who didn't have a place to lay his head, who experienced torture on a cross. Inconvenient stuff. But it was his joy, his joy, his desire to share his love that he so gladly inconvenienced himself for us. So this compass, these aren't rules, but this is response to the way of Jesus, the way of beautiful but inconvenient love. And this is a way of being together that reflects the life and love of Jesus. We're going to get at that this morning by looking at some of these inconvenient ways of the kingdom we see in Matthew chapter 5 in this Sermon on the Mount. We'll break these down here in a little bit. Uh, I also wanted to say this. I, I'm following Hans Erich Lee. Last week he preached out of the Sermon on the Mount. I, I wanted to follow that and also wanted to be a sort of a tester, a taster for um, the Bible study series that Hans Erich will be starting uh, September 15th, 14th. Not on Monday, but on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, at 9.30, right, in the, in the fireside room. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to have a Bible study with Hans Eric surrounding the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I wanted to say, though, it's really important to understand, before we dive right into to our passage for this morning, the context of this sermon and who it is that Jesus is giving his sermon to. Uh, you know, the, the chapter numbers and verses that we find in the Bible, 
those are actually pretty arbitrary. Those, weren't, those are not in the original Greek manuscript. And sometimes it causes us to think of scripture in chunks instead of it being a unified narrative. So uh, I'm going to read the, what happens right before Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 23. It's an important context. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were, who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So these are folks up on the mountain listening to Jesus speak who have experienced the power of the kingdom of God ushered in by Jesus Christ, who've, who've experienced healing themselves or seen other experience the healing. These are, these are those who know that there is a power available through Jesus a new reality available by repenting and entering into the kingdom. That place where God's ways have their way. So I, I see the sermon as an outflow of Jesus explicating what this kingdom looks like. What it looks like for the kingdom, not only to touch you and to heal you, but for its power, its grace to flow through you to others. Like Hans Eric said, this is a picture of the kingdom of God having its sway, holding sway in our lives. And, and I think uh, sort of to, to perhaps summarize a little bit of, of our passage today, these are pictures of, again, gospel inconveniences, but they're pictures of what it looks like to be absorbed in the generous, forgiving love of God. And life in this way, in the way of Jesus, is an outflow of the heart captivated and transformed by, by living in that kingdom. The present reality of God available to us here and now. It's the God who causes his sun to shine on both the good and the evil. The God who causes rain to, to fall both on the righteous and, and unrighteous. So let's look at these images of gospel inconvenience. First, Jesus contrasts the way of the kingdom with uh, lex talionis, an eye for an eye, the old, the old ad, adage from Mosaic Law, uh, which is it's, you know, mentioned several times in the Old Testament. It's actually uh, visible in other sort of ethical codes of, of the time. It's uh, also known for uh, tit for tat. It's, it's the clear uh, you know, moral code of uh, sort of commensurate punishment for, uh, for crime. And we've got to realize first, before we sort of bash the Lex Talionis, that this was actually a huge advance in civilization at the time. Um, before this came out, before the, the sort of adoption of an eye for an eye, you might be killed, you might be just murdered for stealing figs. Right? That could happen. Punishment was not always commensurate with, with the crime committed. 
Or say, if you were of a upper class, upper echelon, and somebody of a lower class did something uh, against you, um, you know, their, their, their crime, their, pun their punishment would be way out of line with the tr crime that was committed. So, in one sense, the lex talionis, the eye for an eye, is, was kind of an advance in civilization. Uh, yet, Jesus says that when the kingdom of God, when the kingdom life is flowing through us, justice doesn't look like that. Justice looks like extravagant generosity. And he gives a couple of examples. Uh, he starts by saying, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. In other words, when someone injures you, don't strike back. Don't take revenge. Don't stomp on their foot. This wasn't a sign of passivity or weakness, but strength. That their action is not going to determine your action. That their injury of you they're seeking to harm you, is not going to uh, stop you from seeking their highest possible good. Sounds almost impossible, right? But this is the image of life in the kingdom. It goes on in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your, your tunic, hand over your coat as well. So it's generosity that goes beyond what is just asked or requested. Again, it's extravagant. It's lavish. And we've got to remember, clothes, we have, t I've, I have a lot of clothes, you know, compared to, uh, I don't know, to this day and age, where clothes were, were rare and pretty expensive. To give up your, your coat, uh, to give up your tunic, it's an elaborate uh, generosity. He goes on, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go, that, go with them uh, two miles. Again, extravagant, lavish, uh, lavish generous love exemplified in, in your outward behavior. Um, this was apparently a common practice in the day. The Roman uh, Empire who occupied uh, Judea had this sort of doctrine of impressment or this uh, rule of impressment which allowed soldiers, Roman soldiers, to conscript, conscript a, uh, a Jew and require them to carry their equipment, their backpack full of equipment for one mile. They could do that to anybody. And um, the backpacks were evidently pretty heavy, like up to 100 pounds. So a Roman soldier could just conscript any Jew and say, hey, carry my bag for a mile. That was the limit. Jesus is saying, go beyond just the mile. Go two miles to showcase the extravagant, generous love of God. 42 follows that same rhythm. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So it's starting to become clear, right? This is inconvenient stuff. Not holding on to our own time, not holding on to our own money or safety, but living from the resources that come from the kingdom, the safety that comes from God. I'm convinced this sort of generosity can only arise from an overflow of our experience of God's own generosity in Jesus Christ. This is willingness based on God's power, God's grace. In college, I was at a retreat uh, with my, my buddy Scott, one of my best friends. He was a Christian. 
but uh, was going through some hard times. And he had a powerful experience of grace at this conference. You could just see it on his face. He was glowing. He was captivated by the love of God, reaching out to him. Had a, had a, a powerful experience of that. And I remember, for some reason, Scott had this wad of cash on him. I think he worked construction in his spare time, so he just had this wad of cash. And we were on our way home, and we stopped at, like, a convenience store. Uh, actually, might have been Jack in the Box to get it. No, I'm just kidding. We stop at a convenience store, and uh, we walk up there, and this guy asks Scott for money. And without flinching, he just takes his wad of cash and just slaps it on the guy's hand and just keeps going. Didn't say a word about it. Just out of the overflow of his experience of God's generosity, he could, he, it was like in his bones. He didn't have to think about it. Just boom. This guy was poor, man, really poor. But this is, this is catching the rhythm of the kingdom, the kingdom of generosity, the kingdom of what looks like inconvenience. I was struck as well uh, from another example. I was reading Christianity Today. Uh, it's online. I, I recommend, uh, if you're interested, to, to really take a look. Uh, they did this interview with a, a Christian pastor in the Gaza Strip about his perspective of what's going on there. A pastor, uh, Han- uh, Hannah Massah, and they're interviewing, like, how do you, how do you navigate this world, you know? What, what's, what do you think of the Jews who are, are uh, doing airstrikes in the Gaza Strip? What do you think of uh, Hamas? How do you interact with your Muslim neighbors in this kind of crazy situation? And, and he said this, and it just sounds simple, but I, I think it's really profound. He said, when the Lord changed our hearts, he's talking about the Christian community he's a part of, he gave us love for all people. And he talks about the Christian witness to the love of Jesus Christ in Gaza. He says, thousands of Muslims have found refuge in other churches that have opened their doors to refugees. <laughs> Get this, this blew me away. My neighbor called to ask if he and his family can move into my family home in Gaza. Now there's almost 100 people living in my house. See that extravagance and generosity? You think you had to think about it? I, I, I don't think so. Adopting these sort of inconveniences for the kingdom also, they actually might uh, be pretty functional too, counterintuitively functional. Um, you're stopping the cycle of revenge when you turn the other cheek. You're collapsing the binary opposition that, that occurs when there's for and against. When you say that you're for somebody, even when they seem to be against you, it's hard for them to continue to be against you. I know this is complicated and, and plays out in different circumstances, but there's a lot of wisdom just how this actually functions in human relationships. We uh, collapse that cycle of, of revenge with forgiveness, with love. We also believe that it's the best way, not just for others, but, but for us, for our own hearts. Dallas Willard writes this about this passage. He says, once we have broken the power of anger and desire over our lives, we know that the way of Christ in response to personal injury 
and imposition is always the easier way. It is the only way that allows us to move uh, serenely in the midst of harm and beyond it. For me, I often see potential inconvenience as a threat rather than an opportunity to witness, witness to the kingdom of God that's at hand. I wonder if it'd be better if we, we saw these, inconven- these inconvenient opportunities that, that emerge as a canvas to show the grace and love of God, to show God's generosity, God's love. I did have an opportunity to do this, and, and I, again, I often fell, but I did have an opportunity that came up not too long ago that, by God's grace, I, I think I was able to show some generosity. We were sitting in our car, um, getting a burger. What's it about burgers this morning? I have a, that's all I eat, hamburgers. This is actually from not a fast food place. But we were getting ready to leave, and a woman um, parked really close to us. I'm like, uh-oh, she's going to open her car door and just slam into ours. And sure enough, opens her car door, slams right into our car. <laughs> that happens, right? And you guys, it's a little awkward when you're in the car when somebody does that. <laughs> what do you do? And I was upset. And uh, I, I get out of the car. I was like, I, you know that you, you hit our car there, right? And she seemed really flustered and kind of out of it. And she was looking down. She said, oh, sorry, sorry. But she was not really paying attention, which kind of bothered me a little bit. And uh, I, I, taking a moment, I realized she had dropped her phone and there was a sewer grate right where she dropped her phone, and it dropped into the sewer grate. <laughs> I'm like, ah, justice, you know? <laughs> the part of you that, that says that. But, but I, uh, by God's grace, his spirit said, you know, help, help this woman out. So I look in there, and I say, oh, I can, I can spot your phone down there. And she's like, oh, what are we going to do? And she's just flustered, and I'm like, man, it's pretty dirty down there. I was like, maybe I can reach it. So I go in there, and I, I try to reach it, and I can't. And then I test the grate, and it's actually pretty heavy, but it, I'm able to lift it up and, and uh, move it, reach down, and get her her phone. And she just seemed <laughs> just uh, sort of overwhelmed by the whole situation, the bizarre situation of slamming into somebody's car with their door and uh, that person helping her get her phone that was lost. It's a small little example but, you know, I, I actually took a lot of pleasure in that. I felt freer. I didn't feel bound to my, uh, you know, just feeling upset that my car got hit. I was free of that. The way of Jesus is beautiful. It works for, for others and for us. But I just, I, I want to end by thinking through, for us, what does it mean to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the gospel to others and for each other. Um, For followers of Jesus, I I don't think you could be here if it wasn't for somebody's inconvenience somewhere along uh, your journey. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my friend Julian Smith, who when I was a freshman in college eating those Jumbo Jacks and two tacos, um, he knocked on my dorm door, took an interest in getting to know me, 
He was a resident director that had moved into the campus with his wife for the sake of loving students. What an inconvenient thing to be a newlywed living in a dorm. But for him, it was total joy. Um, I remember showing up to the first dance like that weekend uh, at school, and I'd met Julian before, but I showed up totally drunk. And uh, I, Julian was there at the door, said no words of condemnation at all. In fact, he invited me to church the next morning and over for lunch, which I happily accepted uh, and uh, was you know, wondering what he would say to me the next morning. Nothing but generosity. Nothing but interest in who I was. I had dozens of mill, mills at uh, Julian and Hope's uh, resident director uh, apartment on campus. Uh, they, they loved me when it was inconvenient. They inconvenienced themselves for me for, for so many other students. I wouldn't be here if I didn't catch that way of Jesus so alive in them and their lives. So I encourage you, if you're writing notes or whatever, write down the name of somebody who inconvenienced, inconvenienced themselves for you. It could be your mom or your dad, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, unexpected person who laid down their lives so that you might experience life. Thank God for that person and learn from their example. Next to that name of that person that you might have written down, write down the name of somebody you might feel God calling you to inconvenience yourself for. It might be somebody you live with. It might be somebody you work with. It might be a commitment to buy uh, whoever's behind you in line at Starbucks their drink as well. Something beautiful. Impro- improvise. Improvise through the Holy Spirit's power what it looks like uh, to love extravagantly and generously. This is gourmet living. It takes time. You might nick a finger or two. This is gourmet stuff. This is a rich feast. A feast that's laid before us in Jesus Christ. And a feast that we want to invite others into as well. I think for us, sometimes it, we, we read these pictures of kingdom life, and hey, yeah, it's daunting. Love your enemies. You know? Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile. Um, but I think inconveniencing ourselves in this way can be a sort of discipline in prayer. We may not feel we're the person that has that in our hearts. But I wonder if, if practicing these sort of inconveniences sort of open up the water valves to allow that life of the kingdom to flow through us, to test it, to see if there really are the resources from God to do this. I'm curious what you'd find if you open up those valves. I had a pastor, uh, heard a pastor once say that the best way to get over anger towards someone is to do something incredibly kind to them. It works. It works. It's in this, this spirit, the spirit of, of practicing, uh, banking on those resources that are there from God that I think allows us to live into the kingdom's fullness. Let's pray together. Right? We're going to have a little moment of silence um, for you just to maybe think about those names. Think about what it means for yourself to feast on uh, the love and power of the kingdom in Jesus Christ, and also what it means to give others a taste. I'll take a minute, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Lord, I think of, and I wonder about what the reaction would have been from the crowds hearing these words from you. How alien the words might have sounded. How shocking, yet how beautiful. Is it possible, God? Can we live in this way? Lord, you've lo- you, you lived and loved in this way. We want to be absorbed in, in your life and your love and your power that others might come to this banquet of love and mercy and know your goodness in a world that so desperately needs it. We pray this in the name of the King, Jesus. Amen.